So here we are, October 31st. And depending on where you want to stand on things, is, is it All Hallows Eve? Is it Reformation Day? Or is it Halloween? You know, what we know about Halloween is it's time to dress up, right? Wear a costume. And, you know, sometimes that can be a lot of fun. Like I said, we, we saw a lot of interesting costumes. Some of them are pretty impressive. You know, entire families with a theme running that, that they did really well. And it, it's, you know, the, kind of the fun of, of dressing up like that and pretending to be somebody else. But what happens when somebody's pretending to be somebody else as a lifestyle? What happens when they wear a costume for a living? And not just to earn a living, but just as a life that they live. You know, the actual definition of hypocrite is one who plays a role. It has to do with acting. It has to do with putting on a mask and pretending to be something we're not. And the Apostle Paul finally reaches a point in talking about those in Corinth who had caused so much of this trouble. They had caused so much of this division. They had hurt so many people. They had hurt Paul. They had caused all this to happen that in this section, he finally reaches a point where he just calls them out for exactly what they are. And some might look at that and say, well, that's, that, that might be a little harsh. Maybe their intentions were good. Maybe they just didn't know any better. Who, who is he to judge them and to say such harsh words about them? But you know, when it comes to eternity, we can't afford to be wrong. When it comes to the unity of the church, it is one of those things that we have been commanded to maintain. It is right, I mean, we maintain our confession in Jesus, and then right under that is maintain the unity of the Spirit. And so we don't ever compromise the truths of the faith but we don't compromise unity for personal preferences either. And so when Paul reaches this kind of fevered pitch now of calling out the false teachers, he's doing it because he loves the church in Corinth so much that he has to speak the truth to them. And one of the things he puts out there is a comparison between how he treated them and how the false teachers did in how he behaved himself in their presence and how the false teachers took advantage of them. Because it came down to actions. And what happened in Corinth is that the Corinthians couldn't see past the disguise. Their actions revealed them for who they were, but these false teachers came in disguised as light. That was their costume. They disguised themselves as apostles, as servants of God, when in fact they weren't. And Paul actually calls them servants of Satan in this passage. And these people didn't just make a mistake. They didn't just, you know, get kind of something wrong and, and, oh, it caused a little bit of a dust up. Their actual motives were, in the end, the only way to be described as satanic. Cause division in the church. Lead people away from Jesus. Get people focused in this world 
rather than on eternity. And people can be willing or even unwilling or unwitting servants of Satan and disguise themselves as light, thinking they're doing something good, all the time being deceived themselves. And maybe even believing their own disguise. Can you think of anything worse than believing your own disguise? Self-deception. See, throughout the Bible, that's actually one of the things, that a theme that just keeps coming up is that it, it, Jeremiah talked about that the heart it is wicked and deceptive above all things. And that we will lie even to ourselves and we will deceive ourselves rather than follow God so many times. And so it's important for us to be able to learn how to recognize the disguise of the enemy when he disguises himself as light. And so listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. And he says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need... I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You can tell that Paul got very serious in that suddenly. He went from talking about how he loved them and he didn't want to burden them and that he didn't accept money from them for their good and that he wasn't going to accept anything because he put their good ahead. Of, and then he turns the corner into what these false teachers did and who they were. And suddenly he's talking about servants of Satan. This is something he took very, very seriously. Because these false teachers almost destroyed the church in Corinth. Now, when they showed up, do you think anybody's alarms really went off of like, whoa, these people want to destroy us. These people could almost destroy the church if we fall. And no, they, they came in saying the right things, looking the right way, telling them, oh, yeah, no, we believe in Jesus too. We want you to have everything he wants you to have. And they just started one step at a time, taking them away from the gospel and causing division until it took Paul writing letters to them and telling them, no, this isn't right. This is not the gospel. And he has to correct what these people had been teaching. And if the Corinthians had had more of a sense of discernment, they would have avoided a lot of this. Now, we all have to grow into our sense of discernment. We have to grow into spiritual maturity. And so 
the Corinthian church was young and they were, they were kind of, we, we could say, vulnerable to this type of deception because they were young in Christ. They were young Christians. And, and so Satan takes advantage of weaknesses. Amen? We know that. And so he sees they're weak. He knows Paul is off. He can't, can't be there. And he sends his workers in to start sowing the seeds of division and destruction. And so one of the things we have to learn to do, and they had to learn to do, is learn to look at actions. Pay attention to what's actually happening, and not just the words, not just the presentation, but look at what is going on, because actions reveal beliefs. Actions reveal beliefs. Now, here's the hard part of that, is that it works in our own lives, too. You know, if we look at our lives and see what is it that I do consistently, we'll find out what we really believe. And a lot of times it's not what we say we believe. Now, that doesn't mean we're into full-blown heresy and we're, you know, apostates or anything. But there's always this tension in Christianity for every single one of us. And if we don't admit it's there, we're just, again, deceiving ourselves. Uh, Okay? There's always this tension between... The, the absolute truth and goodness that we see in Jesus Christ, and it is true, and I, am, I mean, we, we, had, we just strive for it and what we actually attain to. And just as human nature, most of the time we probably overestimate how far we've actually attained. We think we're more spiritual than we are. And then we can't understand why we struggle with sins in certain ways. And we can't understand why, you know, why does this sin hang on? Why, do, why, why does my pride still get in the way? Why does my anger still show up? Why does this still happen? Because we tell ourselves I'm this spiritual, but our actions reveal we're this spiritual. Now, God knows the difference. And God does not condemn us for this. In Christ, all our sins are forgiven. But if we understand the truth, that our actions reveal what we really believe. We get a really good snapshot of ourselves and we can even get a good snapshot of kind of the culture that we're in. What does the culture believe? What does our church culture believe? We look at our actions and we'll show you what we believe. And so what did Paul believe in this situation? He believed that burdening the Corinthians with supporting him would hurt their faith So he refused to do so. Did he have a right to? Absolutely. He said he had absolute right as as an apostle, as a minister of the gospel. He came in and he's doing the Lord's work. He could have said, you know, yeah, I need help financially. and, And it was a right thing to do. I mean, he had the right to do so and there was nothing wrong with it. But Paul looked at their situation and said, you know what, this... They're really caught up in superficial things. They're very immature at this point. They really focus on this kind of stuff. I'm just going to take that completely off the table and not accept anything from them so that they can't divide up among themselves about who gave more or Paul is taking advantage. He, he just took it all off the table and said, nope, I'll figure it out for myself. I'll take care of myself, which he did while he was in Corinth. He made tents. He was a tent maker, and he provided for himself where he could. And where more needs came up, he let other churches from other places send him stuff. Now think of that. He is so committed to this that he's like, yeah, I'll try to make my own money. And if I need, really need more, I need something else. I got all these other churches that are more mature. 
that I don't mind. I'll, I'll accept help from them. Now, why would Paul bring this up? Is he, is he bragging? Is he, you know, he says this boasting, I'm not going to stop. He, the boasting is not on anything he did. It's the fact that, look, I'm willing to take second place here for your good, for your growth. And he's comparing it to the false teachers who were taking advantage of them quite a bit. They were not just dividing them, but they were likely demanding money. They were demanding payment. They were demanding all this stuff. And Paul's like, just just compare. Look at the difference in how each of us treated you. He says, I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. And so Paul saw the need of the Corinthians and responded to it and, and conducted ministry in a way that made it so that their weaknesses weren't going to be a problem, that they could have time and room to grow out of it. The false teachers, they saw opportunity, opportunity for themselves. Paul's concern was for their well-being. The false teachers' concerns were for their own gain. So what can we learn from this? Well, patterns always emerge that reveal either a commitment to worldly ideas and philosophies or to God and the truth found in Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is bringing up in this discussion. He's bringing up the pattern that just look at how things repeated themselves. Look at what was presented to you and how life played out over and over regarding me and these false apostles. Who treated you in a more godlike fashion? Who loved you more? And he's willing to do that. And I think sometimes in our zeal today to not be judgmental, we've forgotten how to make good judgments. When, when, when Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, that was not saying throw every bit of discernment out the window and don't make any judgment ever. What did he say? He says, don't judge unless you want to be judged by that same standard. Well, should Christians have standards? Should we have standards that we want to be judged by? Thank you. Somebody said yes. No, we really should. We need to be judged on the standard. We need to have judgments. Judgments is just making a decision. It's just showing discernment. We make judgments every day. God doesn't tell us don't ever make a judgment. What he's saying is, one, don't condemn other people. Don't stand in judgment as some kind of superior. And make sure the standard you're using to judge is something you're also willing to apply to yourself. That's where we get in trouble is when we start playing the role of the hypocrite. We put the mask on as though we don't have any problems and judge others who do. That's what Jesus is telling us not to do. And it's why he told us, you know, why do you tell your brother who has the plank in his own or has a speck of sawdust in his eye while ignoring the plank in your own? What does he say? He says, first remove the plank, then you'll see clearly to help with the speck. The goal for myself and for others in that story is all about sanctification and spiritual maturity, growing in faith. And we have to make judgments to do that. And so this is what Paul does. He puts that concept out there of look at what patterns emerge, look at how their lives are lived. And so I want to put a couple of concepts and scriptures together 
to help us understand this idea of works and faith here, okay? Now, many of you have heard, we've talked about it before, James 2, 14 through 18. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, the answer to that is no. Okay, that is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. If you have faith that does not show itself in works, then you don't have faith at all. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, you say the words, but without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He's saying it's no good. This is not a call to, while we should help the poor and everything, this actually in this scripture is not a call to help the poor. He's showing the duplicity of saying the words and not following through. If somebody has a need and you're like, oh, I really hope that works out for you, and you don't do anything to actually help, he's saying you've done no good. What you have said does not reveal your faith. What you've done reveals your faith. And so it says, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, or wait, I go, go back, verse 16, 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith. By my works. Now, James is not saying we are saved by works. He's saying we are saved by a faith that produces works. He is in full agreement with the Apostle Paul in this section. There are people who want to pit Paul, oh, you're saved by grace and grace alone, not of works, so no one can boast. And they want to take that and put it up against James and say, see, they disagree with each other. No, they absolutely agree with each other. Because what Paul says in Ephesians is that you're not saved, you're saved by grace alone, not of works, so that no one can boast. And then he says you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Paul has the exact same thought that our faith transforms us in such a way that we now have a desire and the power and the will to do what is right. And to take those steps based on what we believe. What the false teachers in Corinth were doing was talking a good game, but their actions revealed something entirely different. Their actions contradicted their words. And it caused division, and there were people following, and there were people falling away, and it was, it was destroying the church. And that's where Paul has to write, and he's telling them, just pay attention to what's right in front of you. Look at what is happening. And so a person's faith, their true faith, is on display in their consistent actions. Now, when I say consistent, look, everybody has bad moments. I don't want to be judged by my worst moment in life. I don't want people to look at that and say, wow, you, okay, so that's what you really believe. That is complete. No, we all will have moments of weakness and, and, and fail. But what consistently happens in a person's life? How do they act? What do they do? Because it's that consistency that reveals where their heart really is. And that can be sobering for us because we can look at it and say, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not consistently where I should be. Well, okay, then you're, this is what you believe. Now, you may look at this and want to strive towards it. That's great. Look at what, what is the difference and what do we need to do to get there? What needs to change in my, in my faith so that I do the things that I want to do. 
And I say what needs to change in my faith because that's where it begins. A lot of times we want to work it backwards. We want to start with the works and do it and hope that through time somehow it transforms our heart, right? We want to do it backwards. What God does is says, no, I'll transform the heart and your faith will lead to actions that prove what you believe, that put it on display. And that's why their intentions may be what they want to believe and know to be true, but their actions reveal what they truly believe. The false teachers in Corinth believe something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and their divisiveness and abuse proved it. Had they been true followers of Jesus Christ, they would not have caused the division that they caused. They would not have bad-mouthed Paul the way that they bad-mouthed Paul. They would have worked together with Paul. Just as Apollos did when he came in after Paul left, he says, I planted, Apollos watered. They worked hand-in-hand together, both pointing them towards Jesus Christ. But these false teachers didn't do that. And so, Paul's actions that he points them back to, his love, his patience, his grace, and the truth that he gave them proved his faith was genuine. Had they known this truth up front, had they had their sense of discernment refined to be able to judge actions rightly, it wouldn't have taken long before they rejected these false teachers and said, you know what, no, you're not teaching us the truth. You're claiming to follow Jesus, but your actions are showing something different. Now, that doesn't mean that they would have instantly just like, you got to go, get out of here. But they would have said, hold on a minute, hold on, we've got a problem with what's going on here. Their sense of discernment would have started to show up and they'd start backing away from it saying, well, well, let's slow down for a second. Why are you telling us that Paul isn't giving us the full truth? We've seen nothing of the sort from Paul. And this sounds really divisive, so I need you to explain that a little bit better. And, and they would have started to get into, okay, this isn't leading us closer to Christ. This is, this is fueling ego, and this is emotional manipulation. This is bad stuff that's going on. And, and so if they had known that, it would have saved the Corinthians a lot of heartache because they would have recognized the duplicity in these false teachers. So how do we hold on to this today? There's a phrase, there's one line of scripture that Paul uses in Romans 14.23 that can clear up so much about the, the idea of, you know, we do what we believe. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, how many in here have this idea of sin in here as here's a whole bunch of the bad actions to avoid? You know, don't... Don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls who do, you know, that kind of thing. You know, we get this list of here's all the bad stuff that I don't do. And then we want to compare ourselves with, you know, well, I don't do that. They do that. And we want to, you know, we want to start comparing righteousness. And Paul just takes all of that legalistic garbage and he just throws it out the door and he says, you want to know what it is to live by faith and to avoid sin? For whatever does not proceed from faith from a commitment and a knowledge of God and a commitment to the truth, it's sin. It's sin. And I know that can seem like, that can seem like such a huge broad stroke statement, can't it? I mean, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You mean if it's not 
you got to really think about this phrase for a little while before you really get it. But think about this. Anything that we do that does not proceed from faith is sin because if it doesn't proceed from faith, which means it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's guided by the Holy Spirit, it seeks to glorify God. If it doesn't proceed from that, where does it have to come from? Either my flesh, the world, or the enemy. Therefore, it will always lead to sin. Always. And this is, this is why this is so important to understand. Satan disguises himself as light. He makes you believe. He wants to trick us, and he does trick us. He deceives us into believing that we're acting in faith when we really aren't. We're acting out of ego. We're acting out of agreement with the world. We are acting out of agreement with the culture, or, or we're just falling for Satan's trap directly. And when that happens, it will always lead to sin. And there is no in-between. This is the world we live in as Christians. We are either following God or we are falling victim to the, the weakness of our own flesh, to the corruption of the culture, or to the, the deceit of the enemy. That's it. There, there is no in-between there. And when we start thinking in those terms, man, it sure changes life in a hurry. Because we start questioning, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because the glowing box on the wall told me to? Or am I doing it because the Holy Spirit told me to? Am I doing this to glorify God? Or am I doing this for myself? And it's, remember, I, please, as we say this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why we can have these tough and hard questions in our lives where we can find out that, man, I am not as righteous as I think I am and be okay because we know at the end of the day we are forgiven. That's what Jesus died on the cross. But we can engage these hard things now knowing it doesn't matter how bad I figure out I am, Jesus has already forgiven. It's over. It's over. I, God is not judging me based on my failures. He's judging me based on the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And so now the power of sin is broken in my life so I can now stop the practice of sin and walk closer to Him all the time. And so understand, anytime God reveals to you a need to grow, all it is is a call to walk closer to Him and, in, and enjoy Him even more. It's a call to blessing. It's a call to cut anchor from stuff that's dragging you down. It is not a call to condemnation. It is a call to freedom. But when, and listen to this, when we believe any of these things, when we follow these false teachers, when we follow the world, when we get deceived by the enemy, when we believe a false gospel, we have a false freedom in our lives. False gospel, false freedom. He'll tell you you're free all the while tying you up and making you a slave. And I mean that. Satan will tell you you are free while enslaving you. Every single time. He will tell you that slavery is freedom. Anything that does not flow from God comes from something that will ultimately enslave a person. 
whether it is our own desires, the corrupt worldly system, the prince, the power of the air himself, it will always promise freedom and then deny the very thing it promised. Every single time. This is how Satan works. He will promise you something that might even be a good desire. It might be something good that you want, that is natural, that God has given you a desire for, and he'll say, hey, I'll give that to you. And then he'll take that very thing from you by deceiving you. And the worst thing is, is he gets us to do it to ourselves. At the end of the day, Satan, his name means accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren, which means all he is going to do is deceive you. And then once you're deceived, he'll accuse you before God and say, see, he did it. She did it. That's how he works. And people say, no, 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 I was deceived. And he's like, you did it. I just said the words and you, you believed them. And he'll even go so far as to say, you had the truth. If you'd really wanted to know the difference between what I was saying and what the truth was, all you had to do was look. He is the accuser of the brethren. That is what he does. And so what happened in Corinth? These false teachers offered greater spiritual power for the Corinthians. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, we love Paul. We love Paul, but he's missing something. We'll actually get you there. You just got to follow us. Oh, by the way, that'll be 1099 for my book. And that's just book one. And when we're done with that, it'll be 2099 for book two. And they'll keep it coming back. And they're, they're dividing everybody. You see, they claimed to be true apostles and led them away from the true apostle, Paul. And so one of the challenges of discipleship in the Christian life is learning to hold on to the truth in the midst of lies and deception. They're never going to stop. This side of heaven, we will never stop. There will never be a shortage of false teachers and people who twist the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they twist it, trust me, it's one click off at the beginning. And we can all, all of us look at it and say, oh, you know, I might disagree with some of that, but I, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not that bad. One click. And then they take another click, but you know, it doesn't seem that far because instead of being two clicks off, it still just feels like one click off. How many clicks before we start going, hey, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. This is getting really, this is, this is now weird. This isn't what God teaches. And the people who fall for it say, well, you've been fine up to now. And you know what? They're right. They're right. We do that. And then it's like, oh, you know, and then we have to repent. We're like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have been. Maybe I shouldn't have said it was okay. And that's the realization of like just how much we compromise before we finally are like, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, this is going somewhere bad. Why did we do this? And now we've got all kinds of stuff to deal with in it. And it's one of the challenges is learning to hold on to it. Because listen, in Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul would only have to write that if the challenge was that we're constantly going to want to go back into things that will enslave us. And he says, Christ has given you that freedom. Don't give it up. Don't submit again. And the word submit is voluntary. 
One of the challenges of the Christian life is learning, as he says, to stand firm. No, I will not submit to that. I will not submit to slavery. I will not submit to the gospel being perverted into something that focuses more on this life than God's kingdom. I will not make the Christian life about my success. I'm going to keep it focused on the holiness and the success of Jesus Christ on the cross in his resurrection. I won't compromise it. And he says you're going to have to stand firm, which means the attacks are going to come. Satan is going to try to get us to submit again to a yoke of slavery that makes us ineffective in our Christian walk. Now, no, I didn't say you lose your salvation or you're not a Christian. It just makes you ineffective in your Christianity. You are putting the bowl over the light in this world. And that's what he wants. Because he wants Christ to set us free. That's when Satan starts to try to deceive us even more. Understand that. He turns up the heat and he, he makes it worse. And who does he use to do this? 2 Peter 2.19 They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. These are the false teachers. It's people who talk about things that they aren't. It's the hypocrites. And when I say a hypocrite, look, I don't mean some... Every Christian in this world, as I said, has a struggle between what they want to believe and what they want to be and who they are. I'm not talking about a person engaged in that struggle. The fact you're engaged in that struggle proves you're trying to follow God. Okay, understand that. Don't let the word hypocrite scare you here. The hypocrite that he's talking about are people who claim to be Christian and aren't. They're not even saved. They have no commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they claim the things of God. They'll even quote scripture. They will walk and in, in, in teach and say, look, I'm here telling you about God when they themselves are slaves to corruption. And they have no commitment to Jesus Christ. And this is exactly who the false teachers in Corinth were. They were slaves to their desires for control, influence, and power. They were slaves to their own pride and ego and they led others into the same slavery. See, just quickly, is a person pointing you towards Jesus Christ or are they pointing you towards anything else? And I mean anything else. If it's not Jesus, whatever they're pointing you to will eventually enslave you. It will enslave you. And we have tons of people today in our country enslaved by the idea that Jesus died on the cross so that they can have a successful life right now. And and I mean, they're enslaved to it. And they are just convinced that if I just have more faith, then things are just going to work out and my life is going to turn great and I'm going to get what I want. And they work themselves silly and they just keep going and they keep going. They're enslaved to it. They have no sense of freedom because their faith is based in this world. You see, here's the truth, is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. See, Paul's already, this is in 2 Corinthians. Paul's already been laying that groundwork from the beginning of you can either look at the false teachers or you can follow the Spirit of God and you can clearly see the difference when you open your eyes to it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we also know that the opposite then is true. If the Spirit of God is absent, there is slavery. 
slave to ourselves, slave to the enemy, slave to the world. It doesn't matter. And what we submit to reveals what we really believe. Because whatever overtakes a person, that is what has mastered him. Whatever masters a person, that's his master. Is it the Spirit of God that is overtaking you? Do you live in that freedom? You see, here's what Jesus described false teachers and people who misuse God. He described them this way. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They claimed to love God but didn't. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's a convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now just apply those same words to all of the people in Corinth that were causing division. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Because what we had there was darkness disguised as light. And Satan has not changed. He hasn't changed tactics. He hasn't changed who he is. He hasn't lost any bit of power as far as his ability to deceive. This is what he does. He finds and false teachers will find what is lacking in a person, a weakness, a desire, even good desires, and use them to manipulate people into their web of deceit and abuse. This is why Paul finally drops the hammer on those in Corinth that have caused so much trouble. And he does. In this last section, listen again to what he says. He exposes them for what they are, and that is Satan's of servant, or servants of Satan himself. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now what does he say about Satan here? He disguises himself as an angel of light. How will we know the difference? You know, I remember when, when I was a kid, we had like this massive family Bible. Anybody remember those things? They're like this big. I mean... It's like, I don't even know how you, you know, you read it. You got to like turn it with two hands. And I remember there was this picture, it had pictures in it. And some of y'all probably seen what I'm about to describe. There was this picture in Matthew of the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus is like at the, you know, out there on the cliff and he's standing like this for some reason. And Satan is there. And you're, who knew what Satan looked like in that picture? Who's seen it? He's red and he's got horns and he's got hooves. And I remember being fascinated by that picture as a kid. I'm like, there's the devil. That's the, that's the devil. And you know what? Satan would love for us to believe that about him. That when he shows up, he is this red, horned, hooved, terrifying creature that then somehow is going to convince you to do bad stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, if he showed up right here like that and was like, hey, jump off the cliff, I'm pretty sure we'd all be tempted, right? I mean, that's who we listen to when, we do, you know, when we're tempted, right? The, the absolute grotesque figure that shows up that's demonic is like, hey, do something. We're like, cool. I think I'll follow that. 
That's not how it works. Satan shows up as an angel of light, which means he shows up as everything you've ever wanted. He shows up as something beautiful. He shows up as life and brings death. He shows up as the answer while peddling a lie every single time. Every single time. And his servants will also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Which means it is our job, it is our responsibility as disciples of Jesus Christ to follow Jesus so closely that anything or anyone that tries to lead us away from Him is rejected. Because our commitment is to Him. It is not to personalities. It is not to a denomination. It is not to anything other than the kingdom of God itself revealed in Jesus Christ. And we look, we run everything through that filter. It comes to us and says, hey, I'll lead you closer to God. Say, okay, cool. Where's Jesus? What do you do? Well, it's, it's this whole process here. Okay, cool. Where's Jesus? Where does Jesus in the, in the crucifixion and the gospel play into this? I need you to explain to me exactly why Jesus died and how this fits. I promise every false teacher in the world is going to start backing off at that point. They will. Because one of the first things Satan does is divide the body of Christ when he wants to deceive. Okay, you see, we, we have to follow so closely. Anything wants to separate us there. We've got to know the scriptures. We've got to know the voice of our Savior and the Holy Spirit. And we must be connected to the body of Christ for strength, accountability, guidance, and correction. Church is that important. How many of you ever watch like nature shows? You know, the lion's out there stalking his prey. Who does he always grab? Does he jump right into the middle of the huge herd and attack? No. He always finds the one that's off by itself. And so one of the things Satan will always try to do is to come in and divide a church, get people not together, get them separated, get them isolated, because now they're going to be more likely to fall for his deceptions. It is us together, united, that brings a power. And in fact, it, it, a church unified cannot be stopped by Satan. Okay, a church that is together, that is committed to the gospel, cannot be stopped by Satan. He may take our building, he may take our money, he may take everything. We'll still show up and we'll worship. Why? Because it's about the gospel. And it shouldn't take all of this comfort for us to do that. Now, am I grateful for it? Yes, I love having a wonderful church building to come and worship in. And God's not opposed to those things, but those things are not the point. And so Jesus says it this way in John 17, 20 and 21. I'll close with this. He says, I do not ask for these only. He's praying before his crucifixion. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us. That, there may, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our power lies in our shared commitment and participation in the gospel. It's not about the individual Christian being a hero out there. It's about us as the church 
sharing the gospel and working for the kingdom of God. And so, do not let Satan or his workers divide the church. We stay focused on the gospel. Because when he comes disguised as light, it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ and a unified church that we are able to resist it and continue forward. But the great news, the good news, is that when we do that, Jesus said the gates of hell will not overcome it. The church is unstoppable in that front. It's when we get outside of that that things get sketchy, and they do. But when we are unified in the gospel, we will identify his disguises, his hypocrisy every single time, and we will march forward with the gospel. We see lives transformed. We see his kingdom move forward, and that's what we are here to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you, God, that you have given us the truth. God, that you have given us the standard. And that you have set us free from the power of sin so that we may walk with you, so that we can repent, we can turn away from the world. God, I pray that we avail ourselves of that ability that you have given us through your spirit, God, to grow, to draw closer to you. Lord, give us wisdom. Have our sense of discernment sharpened that we would see the enemy's disguises, that we would recognize them and reject them. God, that we would be the light in the world you want us to be, that others would come to know you, that people would come to know you, that lives would be transformed and made new through the gospel. God, we pray that you use us to make that happen. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.